0: This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children, such as ass, shit, coconut fucker, used crusty bukaki sock, flip-flopping cockwombler, and Corey Feldman.
1: Tonight's episode is brought to you by Harambe. Harambe, for when you need a story of death that means both nothing and everything at the same time.
0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my great friend Natalie I have to emphasize that great is in all yeah. caps and bold
1: Do you like what I did there with bold and caps lock because let's I, I'm I'm moving up a notch every single week I mean I don't know what I'm going to be next week because great is is pretty good
0: You'll be so. just the best phenomenal just wow, amazing
1: I, I mean look at look at how I how my star has risen from not the worst to well great So can only well i guess it can only go down from here so <laughs> well i guess i guess i i guess i peaked too early oh fuck that I mean, oh. Well, yeah
0: you peaked on on, on on episode 21 and if we're uh, i mean <laughs> I yeah mean, i
1: definitely hopefully, hopefully have to do we have at least another photo
0: of what are these to do
1: okay oh, so i guess it's i guess it's just gonna be like peaks and valleys for me like you just up and down you know yeah, you know, next week I'm just going to go back to like being your so-so friend. I well, think.
2: you
0: can't have highs without having lows. That's
1: true. It, this is this is all. Yeah, this is life, right here on the podcast. But yeah, episode 21, I've I've reached the height of my okayness. Just, I guess, just
0: like life, had, and forced porn- upon you.
1: Yeah, that that sounds that sounds about right. So here we are. So, and-
0: so speaking speaking of force and. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Sorry, let me try that again.
1: Hold on, I have (laughs) to (laughs) cough. Still, with the fucking cough. I hate everything. So
0: speaking of pointless and forced upon you, tell us about our God of the Week.
1: Okay, so God of the Week is Odin, um, the all-powerful Norse god. So, like, he's kind of a big deal, sort of the, I guess, Ron Burgundy of the gods. So he was the um, lord of... War and death and knowledge. So some pretty major things. Um, I know like he, he has a shitload of stories and mythology around him. So what I'm going to give is obviously just a super, super Cliff Notes version of the of the thing. Um, he is kind of a wanderer and seeker and giver of wisdom. Um, wasn't so big on things like justice, fairness, or like respect for the law, really. Um He's the patron of rulers, but also the like patron of outcasts, too. So I guess why not both um, ends of the spectrum there? Um, some other little things about him. He had a horse with eight legs that he rode into battle-like situations. Um, wore a wide-brimmed hat so he couldn't be recognized, so he was kind of stealthy. I mean, I picture him sort of like Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Kind of like what he looks like. But also, it says he's a shapeshifter. So who the fuck knows, really? Um, He had some. Almost like they just made the whole goddamn thing up. Yeah. Yeah, I I know. Almost. Almost like people make this stuff up as they go along. Um, Maybe. But
0: it's like you're playing a game of tag with your with your friends and, and they're and then you go, well, no tag backs. And then, well, you, you have to wait three seconds to tag back or you the the trees a base, like you're, you're just adding in.
1: Yeah, adding you're rules adding rules and, or it's like a game of telephone where it starts out with one thing and then later ends up a whole fucking different story by the end.
3: <laughs> you,
0: mean, um, <laughs> you mean you mean to say that a population that was largely illiterate wasn't able to to Pass along the the exact same version of the story that they had created.
1: Religion, religion me. is a game of telephone. Yeah, it is. So, anyways, um, Odin he had he had some ravens that would travel all over for him and bring him back. You know, sort of like military intelligence. Um, that's cool, sure. But when, I guess the the big thing with him is that he was always seeking out wisdom. Um, He even gave one of his own eyes to receive wisdom. Like he traded his eye for, I don't know, I guess something with this well of wisdom that allows him to see far ahead into the future and I guess know a lot of shit. Um, He uh, like, I guess achieved this wisdom by hanging himself from a tree. Like he stabbed himself with a spear. He hung himself On a tree for nine days and nights. And then he was allowed, like, for wisdom. And he was allowed, he was allowed to look at this, like, well of wisdom that was underneath the tree. And, and then, of course, he, you know, like, he sees what he needs to see. And with a superhuman effort, he kind of just is all good. And he's a God. This is what people believed. But you know what? It's, it's a story that well, i told probably really terribly so if anyone out there really knows a lot about these things i'm sorry every week that i have bastardized these um these stories but yeah. well
0: the in in just a just a couple of days ago i shared shared this meme jesus promised the end of all wicked people odin promised the end of all frost giants and i don't see any frost giants around
1: oh so he so he actually like so. he got shit done yeah. Yeah. Well like, thank you Odin for
0: That's evidence. That, that, right there, that, that's evidence. This
1: is this is evidence based right here.
0: Our guest tonight is Lawrence Krauss, who is an internationally known theoretical physicist currently working as a foundation professor in the School of Earth and Space Exploration and Physics Department and inaugural director of the Origins Project at Arizona State University. He's an author of numerous papers and 10 popular books, including A Universe from Nothing. And we were very privileged to be joined by Dr. Krauss back in August, and had quite a good discussion about the intersection of religion, science, and politics. So we're going to jump right into the interview here.
1: So I guess, like, what I wanted to just start with, because I, when I was pl- like planning for this, I was looking at your Reason Rally speech, everything like that. Um, something that always kind of fascinates me is how people. Have, like, how they come to the point to, that they know that they're atheists, non believers, whatever. And, like, what's your sort of atheist origin story,
2: <laughs> to,
1: to put it in that kind of term?
2: Yeah, well, it's not, there's no epiphany or anything. I, I it's just called growing up. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, when I was a kid, I read lots of things. I read the Bible, I read the Quran, I read lots of things. And my family, which was Jewish, sort of did the high holidays, and I was bar mitzvah. But as a, you know, and, and I guess, like many people, I wanted to believe. But as I got older, and certainly by the time I was early teenager, the, it was clear the stories were just kind of silly, and and just a matter of of you know recognizing that they were silly and and unrealistic. And then and then as I became a scientist, of course, it became more and more clear that the you know there's there's no evidence of any of that in the universe. But it was just a matter of growing up, just like not believing in Santa Claus. Yeah.
1: Now, like, do you know any, like many or any scientists who are tr- who try to actually reconcile like a belief in something like a god with the work that they do? Like, yeah, there are scientist? some
2: scientists who are religious. There are some well-known scientists who are religious, and I think the reason is that they're brought up religious. Frankly, on the whole, and it's hard to overcome that kind of stuff. That's why I say that that in some sense, religious child abuse, or at least certainly mm-hmm. certain kinds of religion, because when you expose kids, kids are. are, are are far too young to understand the subtle issues of of creation and 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 and, and God in general. These notions are, uh, are are very subtle, and most adults can't deal with them. But to sort of force feed kids them then makes what what happens is that they get ingrained with that. And I think kids people tend to fall. Well, it's obvious that people follow the religion of their parents because. Children of Muslims tend to be Muslim. Children of Christians tend to be Christian. Christian mm-hmm. Which is one of the first things that should make you realize that it's kind of dubious, because if it was really truth, then you think that it, you know whether what your parents believe wouldn't really be the the rate determining factor. But um, and, but there are some scientists I know, and, and as I say, some very good scientists who are religious. And I I think the point is that the other aspect of it is that people can believe mutually inconsistent things at the same time. That's what humans do. And scientists, believe it or not, are human. Yes,
1: <laughs> scientists are, are people. We, like we Yeah, we, and we so, can, yeah.
2: as I like to say, there's some scientists who are religious, but there's some scientists who are Republicans, so there's no accounting for any of the, you know, obviously logic and rationality goes out the window in that case. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I like, I really loved your, um, your Reason Rally speech, just kind of bringing up some of the things that are just so unreasonable at this point. Mm-hmm. Like in in our kind of political climate, yeah, we have to and, accept
2: them. But it's yeah. kind of it's really amazing when you think of you know think about just that fact of what just accepting the fact that sort of a, this fairy tale is a central part of people's existence and, and that and it goes without any questioning in it in all media is itself an amazing fact.
0: And and how but, absolutely terrifying it is when people say you know, say like you know my my beliefs my morality even like comes from you know, this, this wizard in the sky like that. And people just accept that. And Well, more,
2: what's scarier is when people say that if you don't, is that you can't have morality unless you do accept right. that. That's the scary part. And for me, that's the real, that's the real, you know, people talk about religion and, you know, whether it's been responsible for wars and killing and all the rest, but, but the real, the real negative aspect of religion, which I guess I only began to realize after I sort of, became well known uh, uh, and people write me uh, is uh you know in our movie the unbelievers i get i get or my books i i get all sorts of letters from people who say you know i really appreciate this because first i know i'm alone not alone uh, there are other people who who think this way but more yeah. importantly i know i'm not a bad person for asking questions that's the really sad thing it's in small towns throughout this country there are people who are questioning like they're supposed to and and yet they're, they're made to feel as if they're evil for simply asking those questions. And that's the worst part of religion is that it's appropriated morality, I think.
1: Well, and then when you think about kind of educating, like, the next generation of, of children and, you know, the people who are hopefully going to do good things for this planet to have indoctrination still be a part of it, um, you know, so that's... it's.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I wrote in some piece somewhere that we're always just one generation away, right? Yeah. We're one generation, and so I could imagine religion being gone if you just could, if you could just get at the kids and get them to ask questions and be free thinking. It's just like uh, uh, same sex marriage. It's a generation ago, no one would have ever thought it would be gone. But if you talk to anyone any, my daughter's age or anyone younger, they don't even understand what the issue is. Yeah. Right, and and so you can, so the next generation is really what matters because this generation is is. Is already done for.
0: <laughs> and Yeah, and, and that reminds me of a, of a story. My, my kids are six and four. My oldest is, uh, you know, making friends and going over to people's houses. And he went to uh, – one of his friends is Pentecostal. And I didn't know this beforehand, but he told me about a story where he's, like, hanging out with his friend. They're talking about whatever, and his friend pulls out a Bible and, like, literally, like, hits him with the Bible and tells him that the book is powerful. And I just <laughs> – it, right it's like it's like two six-year-olds like just hanging out like you know playing whatever like video games they play and like all of a sudden now my child has been assaulted like literally assaulted by and so i mean it's like,
2: you know, i mean it's it's i think it's look I, I don't think you can protect your kids from that i think it's good for them to right. see exactly, craziness exactly. And recognize it as us and have a, have a conversation but but it is sad when this little kid is told that and and it's well, sad, and he's, when, and he's, and he's seen, seen somebody hit my with a Bible. He's
0: seen somebody like hit somebody with a Bible too. Is the other part yeah. of that? That's a learned behavior.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's and and that's and people say, "Well, it's not child abuse." They you know they get really mad at me when I say that. But anytime you sort of withhold, you withhold knowledge from your kids, and and, and you'd rather them not know. How the world really works, for fear that their faith is gone. You're, it's 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 a form of child abuse. You're, you're, anytime you knowingly limit the op- opportunities and options of your children, I mean, we all do these things. But anytime you knowingly and regularly that it's 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 not fair to the kids well
0: yeah and i think the line is you're you're withholding information it's 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 not even so much the lie is that the fact that you're not you're withholding that information like the evidence-based
2: information from your kids yeah and that and that is you know the worst kinds of child abuse but that is right. child abuse
1: well because you're not arming your children with the tools to go out in the world and be able to be critical exactly. thinkers and Exactly, and you're limiting
2: their options. There, therefore, you're limiting the opportunities they have in life. And it's like withholding medicine, but obviously not as as as. Well, you're not preparing them to be to be fully functional adults. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, and then, like you know, as I was just doing some reading recently, then you see, um, you know, people who potentially are going to have political power. Hopefully not. But like, you know, someone like Donald Trump being like, let's downsize the Department of Education, like, which to me means let's cut further ability to like teach children science and to think critically. Well, right. yeah, I
2: mean, well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have, <laughs> not only just cut the Department of Education, but what scares me the most is when he talked about, oh, you know, the guy I really want to put in charge of it is uh, is Ben Carson, this, <laughs> this young earth creationist who's a scientific illiterate. And it's so weird. Uh, uh, it, it is so weird that that this guy who is, you know, a a, uh, a other, neurosurgeon, like, and other, yeah, otherwise that, a great neurosurgeon from what I've heard. I mean, I, I, yeah, he's a great, you know, apparently good neurosurgeon. But there's very few people on the campaign who are more scientifically illiterate than he is, mm-hmm. and that's that says a lot for the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, and and just the, I think the level of scientific illiteracy in the country right now is. I mean it's crazy that we can have you know an arc in the middle of you know the Midwest or whatever that people actually visit and think is real, or you know just that's a you know, extreme example but what like what do you think we could do to combat that and try to you know salvage like education and critical thinking for the next generation
2: well, I think we well one of the, the the problem is and especially in this in the 21st century teaching facts is not important it's it's um, and information i mean some basic level you have to provide a certain level of amount of information but but people can get information easily um uh, on their phones and so what you have to do is provide them a filter to teach people how to filter the information to get the wheat from the chaff and really what that means in my opinion is teaching by questions i mean getting people to learn how to ask good questions and where to go to get the answers. So but so that's how I think we need to do is, is encourage basically curricula based on questioning. And that, however, is difficult if you're a teacher who isn't well prepared and you need to stick to the curriculum because questioning is bound to go off. So, I mean, teacher, I encourage teachers to, and parents to be able to say, I don't know, you know, when the kids ask. You always want to know the answer when your kids are asking you these questions, but... But it's great to say, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Let's let's see what we can find out and, and see where to find it out and and and, uh, and and even
0: then and even then that teaches the kids that it's okay to not know things. Like we don't know everything and but here's here's how to go about obtaining that knowledge and doing so from a reputable source.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that's the point. And I think as I say in this the, the internet is wonderful, but it doesn't provide a filter and that that's something we just don't teach in schools i think is how to is how to how to be able to distinguish by skepticism by checking references when when something is reasonable yeah that's great
1: um, you know i i would like can we can we talk a little bit about like current event politics stuff cuz i we i can like, talk I, about I, whatever you want to yeah, talk cuz cuz i enjoyed um, <laughs> that what you've just like published online, what was that like? A couple days ago in the New Yorker, just about
2: in the New Yorker, sometime this last yeah, week. Yeah,
1: Donald Trump's anti-science campaign, because I mean that's what it is. It's I was I was talking like to a friend of mine who lives in the UK, and he was just he just said to me like, "How is Donald Trump actually still a thing? <laughs> like, it's, like how, I think how? the point is
2: that, as I said in the piece, what is scary is that that not just Trump, but the but the uh, um, but the Republican Party is betting that it's perfectly acceptable to 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 uh, uh, um, that empirical reasoning is not the basis of public policy. That empirical reasoning doesn't matter. That you can just say whatever you want. And well, In the current climate, that is the case, and it's because it, it, it's not a surprise because it, it, we haven't based for a long time, in some sense, our po- our public policies on empirical reasoning and 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 uh and so people aren't aren't used to saying you know well you just said that but can you explain to me you know give me any evidence for what you're saying is true and i think that um they're just taking it to the extreme and they're betting that you know donald trump just nothing he says is is true ever essentially yeah. he just makes up whatever he wants and no one sees well very few people seem to call him on it now every now and then they, he gets called on it but It's, it's, um, it's unfortunate that I I think the mainstream media are to some extent at fault here. Um, And and certainly when it comes to science issues, you find most journalists are uncomfortable and they want their, this is something else I've talked about is that journalists are kind of trained to find two sides to every story. But when it comes to science, Mm -hmm. uh, there's, one side tends to be wrong and they're they're hesitant to, they're always sort of looking for someone to counter whatever whatever you want to say so whether it's the whether it's climate change or evolution they can always find someone to counter it and that doesn't mean anything but right. instead of just saying you know this is just nonsense and only once or twice have i seen it happen where mainstream news source said you know not just most scientists believe in evolution but evolution it, you know describes the world and and so they're very hesitant to make those statements but if it were if it were the Holocaust, for example, if Donald Trump denied the Holocaust, they'd be all over him because they're much more comfortable with that but when he when he when he says climate change is invented by the Chinese <laughs> uh, no one you know it's just it, no one seems to call him on or 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 make huge fun as I, I began my piece by pointing out this stupid art, argument he said about a hairspray. Well, people should be, should be journalists should be saying, "Look, this guy doesn't realize that the that you know the atmosphere in your house and the atmosphere outside your house are coupled <laughs> and and it's not as if you don't ever breathe air from the outside inside or vice versa uh, and so but I think journalists many of them don't feel comfortable enough to sort of basically confront someone when they say something ridiculous.
1: And, like, why Why do you think, like, why do you think that is? Like, is it just fear of that Well, I think backlash? journalists
2: are not trained. I mean, most journalists don't have any, any, we don't do a good job giving people basic scientific training. That's what we need to do. We need to be able to, everyone, it used to be 100 years ago that to be a literate, educated person, you had to have some understanding of science. But to some extent, that's just given up. And nowadays, even our cultural role models, we no, they. Other uh, the people say, "Well, you know what? I just can't, don't get that stuff." And it's okay. You know, they're cultural icons, but no, that science stuff I just can't get. That's why I like to tie in my, in my own work and in my in the, in the institute I run in Arizona, the Origins Project, like to tie science and culture and do events with cultural icons who are actually scientifically literate and and, and proud of it.
1: Well, and to have those models there for people to see, like that yeah, US,
2: like- yeah. So it's important to have models of people. But, you know, I've had people from, you know, in the movie we did The Unbelievers, but people from Woody Allen to Cameron Diaz and to, to, um, um, you know, Johnny Depp, Werner Herzog, Cormac McCarthy, all these people I've done things with who are cultural icons, but but they but they care about science. And and, and to a greater or lesser degree, some of them are really expert in it.
1: Yeah, and, and those are the voices that need to be more um, accessible and out there for people to hear, I think. Um, just
2: Well, I think, yeah, I, think, I think they need to be able to stand up and, 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 and say that. And if the more we can have role models who are known for other things, comfortable with science, the better the, better the, the, the object lesson. And that's why, as I say, we're trying in a variety of ways to try and make, uh, uh, you know, tie science and culture together.
1: Well, I mean, it, I think it says something for the the culture too right now in the country where it was it was celebrated. Obviously, that like Hillary Clinton stood up there and said like I believe in science," but that that even needs to be said that someone would you know believe in science like that. yeah. It's it, it, I mean, well,
2: it's the fact that as I said, the fact that she had to say it. You know, it's like I believe you know the Earth is round. I mean, maybe we'll get there someday where you have to say that. Uh, it, it, oh, it's it's, it, it's it's embarrassing, but good. I mean, it's good she did, yeah. because although the point is, although I'm happy she said it, I don't like the words, because belief has nothing to do with science. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 you know, the Earth goes around the sun, whether or not you believe it. Evolution happened, whether or not you believe it. The Big Bang happened, whether or not you believe it. So scientists should never use the word belief.
0: Yeah, it's like John Oliver said, are there hats? Well, it doesn't matter if I believe that there are hats or not, like...
2: There are hats. It's a fact. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, 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 and so, but right now, it's based on it's it's you know politics and journalism is more a he said she said kind of thing, where I say this and you say that and 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 the public you know just doesn't if they sound good doesn't know who to who to uh, believe and so I that's why I'm very careful when I do debates. But I won't do debates on a premise. A lot of people want, me, want to debate me on, you know, say, evolution versus intelligent design, I used to want to do. And uh, and I wouldn't do such a debate because there's no, there's no debate. I would do a debate on, you know, should intelligent design be taught in the classroom? Uh, but I won't do a debate on evolution versus intelligent design because what it does is it gives the impression that, they're both equally viable possibilities and there's some basis for questioning or controversy and that's how you create a controversy. They want to, all these people want to appear on stage with me because and then they do, it, it gives credibility and credence mm-hmm. to the nonsense that they're spouting.
1: Well, that's the thing too when you have like, you know, Things that receive gov- you know, some kind of government funding, like the art, whatever. Yeah, I was
0: going to say people like Ken Ham, who like will purposefully say the atheism religion does or believes X Y Z or something like that. They're trying to get a rise out of you so that they get. Yeah, I was very case.
2: disappointed in in in. Um, I didn't quite understand why Bill Nye agreed to debate Ken Ham at, at the Creation Museum, except, well, anyway, I won't say, but but uh, I think it was a mistake in my opinion.
1: Do you think just it
2: because
1: it gives weight to what they're doing?
2: Well, and it raised the profile and it, you know, and it was done on their ground. So people, more people know about it. And and I've actually debated um, Ken Ham, but it was, on, it was on Fox news on the day that the creation museum opened. I led a protest about it in the morning. And then I, and then I went to visit, uh, actually was allowed in the creation museum. That's a long story, but an interesting one. And then I flew to New York to, on uh, to be on bill o'reilly and 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 ken ham and and there i just let ken ham talk because all he has to do is talk and he hears a little
0: (laughs) right i was about to say you just let him speak for himself yeah uh, it was
2: easy (laughs) but but i would never ever go and debate on the you know on their grounds as if as if they're worthy of my presence because they're not and i'm not pumping myself up um uh and, uh, it's just, it's just, they're not
3: worthy well, really so, of,
2: um, of virtually any rational person's presence.
0: And so you said you weren't allowed in the creation museum. I was, well,
2: I wasn't originally, but I, 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 um, uh, I, I was at the time, um, had credentials as a commentator for marketplace. Uh, and, and, and they sent them the credentials. But when I went up, they said, they knew who I was right away. They said, mm-hmm. Dr. Krause, your, 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 your credentials never arrived, So you can't get in. So I said, um. Well, I had happen to have a BBC and a PBS film crew following me, and I said, "Oh, that's good. Do you mind if the BBC and PBS uh, film me not being allowed in the museum?" And they said, "Oh, okay." And then we had the basically yeah. direct, de- deputy director of the museum give us a private tour.
1: Oh, so that, that's how that works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> good for them.
1: Good for them.
2: Well, I
0: I I did go. I actually went to the ARC in Creation Museum uh, when the when the, the day that the arc opened, and then went to the museum after. They have they literally. I don't know what they had there uh, when it, when you went, but they like right now literally have like dragons up in the in the lobby of it when you walk in, and and like they have a whole display saying like cow. It literally says cowboys and dragons, and talks about how cowboys may have fought dragons. In the
2: Creation Museum. Yeah. <laughs>
1: See, and that and that's the part that's like it's just so fucked up that. Kid like kids are going to go see that, right? They're already going to think that
2: shit is awesome because it looks cool. Like if I were, well, like they a do it. I mean, notes. it's you know they use the same people to make their exhibits as, as Universal Studios did. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And um, yeah, and they, you know they're very impressive looking exhibits. And and uh, um, <laughs> I remember the Adam and Eve one was kind of because Adam and Eve, you know, Adam has long hair covering her breasts. I mean, Eve does <laughs> they call it long hair covering her breasts, and Adam. Is in the grass, covering his uh, private parts. And I remember some graduate student actually called in to see if he was anatomically correct. It turned out he was a Ken doll. So,
1: of course, <laughs> right? But, because we we don't want to we don't want to deal with um, anybody's bodies when we're yeah doing exactly. Religion, but, right? but you know the it, funny thing is they want to have it, control over that, everybody's bodies. The
2: science fiction museum. Is, I mean, the science whatever <laughs> it's called. It should yeah. be called science fiction museum. Yeah, exactly. The, the creation museum is a it's essentially bait and switch because they start. They start all fire and brimstone, and then they, and then they in the last half it, they appear to be a science museum, and they and they hook you. But at the f- oh, yeah. greatest thing, and the very when you walk in, it says re, it has reason versus faith at the very beginning. And I thought, well, they have got it right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it is reason versus faith, and they just don't realize that you know reason is you know is is the way to go. But they really say it right at the beginning, reason versus faith. Although they treat reason as if it's the um uh as if it's the enemy, and of course they ultimately behave as if it's the enemy in everything they do,
1: well, and like the whole like reason versus faith though that just permeates so much into even like into all aspects of our culture right now, even thinking like when when we we're I was making notes for this, and you know said science politics, like let's talk about that, I couldn't get away from bringing in religion because all these three things are kind of conflated at this point with religion getting in in the way of science and politics well it is and you know
2: they and, and to me i'm going to interrupt you for a second because i was just thinking about this The really sad thing an example of how of how the religious right doesn't care about anything in reality is the fact that these that these fundamentalist religious people are supporting donald trump who is anything but i mean who's Mm -hmm. And they're acting as if he's a godly person because for them, he he endorses at least verbally, although you don't don't believe anything he says. You know things like anti-abortion, and so they and so they're saying, well, you know, oh yeah, he's godly. It just shows how much they're willing to distort reality for their own ends. Because if they really believed what they said, if they really believed the, the 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 stuff they spout. They would say Donald Trump is 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 unacceptable, but as, and and that's the real evidence that the that the religious right is really more about power, and 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 having control, and and so they view Donald Trump as allowing them to maintain power and control, in spite of the fact that everything he stands for, more or less, in reality, is is opposed to the verbiage of their of their. Uh, uh, "Quote unquote Christian doctrine."
1: Well, but yeah, you but don't,
0: it, you that don't even matter. know what he. Yeah. yeah, you don't even know what he really stands for because anytime he's asked any sort of policy question, it's always, "Well, we, I'll take care of ISIS," or "We'll, we'll." you know, of course, like the make America great again, whatever the hell that means in the first place. Uh, but there, there's no specifics as far as what he's saying. And that's, that's something that I find to be consistent with Ken Ham. And I just listened to the friendly atheist, uh, interview, uh, that he met did with, uh, Ray comfort where he's, I mean, like he met was great, like, like direct questions to him. And, um, I forget what the question was, but he asked him like, what, Uh, you know, something like what, you know, what's something that would change your mind. And instead of answering the question, uh, Ray Comfort goes, are you married? And it's like, that's, that's not even relevant to what you're asking. Like you're, you're, you're just doing like peekaboo with all these questions. Like you're evading the actual, the actual issues by, by, by asking questions or by, or by avoiding the question. I'm always amazed
2: when, when those people are asked, what would it take you to lose your faith? And sometimes very disappointing. Um, mm. What they say. I mean, it's really trivial in some sense. When William Lane Craig was debating me, he said something like, "Well, maybe if his daughter was killed or something." Uh, well, that's boy, that's <laughs> you know, it's the, it, awful. That's right. Logic. <laughs> and uh, and and Ray, I've never asked him that, but well, I keep I, I've talked to him, and it's really kind of you know, and he, and I said, "Don't you see, therefore, you know, you should you shouldn't be spouting this stuff." And I, I think I happen to think Ray Comfort actually believes. For some reason, this stuff—he uh, just doesn't—he doesn't allow himself to think about the alternative possibility because that's the thing about religion: you you know the answer before the questions are asked. So mm-hmm. nothing can since you know the answer, nothing, no, mere facts can't get in the way.
1: Yeah, they're they're unconvincible. Some of yeah. the people, yeah. and so and it's obviously then about like you know dealing or putting them in a spot at some point, like the unconvincible ones, but then trying to figure out how to teach everyone else to think a little more critically and make rational decisions um, yeah and,
2: and but again you know I agreed to talk to Ray comfort because I, I when I'm talking to people like that and I have to say he's more likable than William and Craig but when I talk to people like that I'm never trying to convince them what I'm mm-hmm. trying to do is, is is reach the people who would otherwise be sort of fooled by them and and some of them I hope may in the one hopes anyway you never know right. in, in the process of Listening to to me talk might say, you know, I don't understand why Ray doesn't, you know, pick up on this, and maybe their their doubts will begin. So that whenever I'm doing a debate like that, it's never it's never to try and convince the person on stage or whatever. It's right. It's it's to Absolutely. try and reach all those people who think, you know, who are honest and haven't thought about the issue and and are willing to, um, you know, they they come because they're willing to listen to both sides, and hopefully you can convince them one side is nonsense. Cool.
1: Um, well, I know we're we're kind of over a half hour, but I, I was wondering if you can just give um, a little like tease about your, your book that's coming out in, I guess, the, is it the spring in March?
2: It's coming out in March, yeah, the greatest okay. story we're told so far. And the subtitle of it is, Why Are We Here? And it, it takes off, in some sense, where my last book, The Universe from Nothing, left off. That book addressed an existential question which religious People had tried to usurp, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? And I demonstrated, I'd like to point out that it's quite possible to have a universe that comes from nothing by the laws of physics without any supernatural shenanigans. But the other big question is why are we here? And, and what, I, what, what this book does is really just in a broad and, and, and way talk about what I think is the most exciting intellectual journey humans have ever taken, all the way from Plato to, to, to today, to understand the fundamental structure of matter and the forces that govern us, and understand and and, the, and and then demonstrate. So it's a it's a modern history of that that takes people right through, especially through the second half of the 20th century, in a way that I've never seen in in a in a popular book. Talking about things that aren't really fully appreciated, the amazing intellectual revolutions that have taken place in our thinking about the world and how strange the world is on a fundamental scale. So people get all of that. It's really a discussion of that science. But then, 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 as I did in the other, in the last book, I, in the last part, I talk about its implications for ourselves in some way. And the real implication is that it's an it, it's more and more obvious when you look at that fundamental structure that it's an accident, that our existence is an accident, that there's no planning, that that it could have easily, just as easily, been quite different. And and we're like, as I point out in the book, more or less like an icicle on a window that points in a certain direction, but. If it had pointed in a different direction, we wouldn't be here. And it's like it's like, and and moreover, the icicle may melt in the sun one day, as we might. And and mm-hmm. and so it it points out both how ephemeral our existence is, but also how how accidental it is. And I think all of those things are important if we want to understand our place in the universe and and realize that the only purpose in life, the only meaning in life, is the meaning we make. So, and that means our time here on Earth is precious because we have this little bit of time, and and we're, we're, we're in a vast universe that doesn't care about us. And, and so we, we can make the world a good place or a bad place, but it's up to us. And uh, we should abri- appreciate our brief moment in the sun. And so this sort of carries on that notion in the context of understanding really the fundamental structure of matter. And it's an amazing set of revolutions that have taken place in that understanding that I don't think people uh, are aware of.
0: Yeah, that's that's something that's always confused me about people that are religious. Is they look always always looking forward to the afterlife, and it's like why you're you're wasting all you know your sixty, seventy, however many years you have here. Well, it, like focus, focus, so focus on this thing that's there's no proof or even a hint of evidence that actually exists.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it it, it gives a, assuming some significance there takes away the significance of the real world. And that's why, that's why I think knowing that we're insignificant on a cosmic scale is not a depressing thing. It makes, it makes every, every moment more precious for yeah, me. Yeah, fact it, that, adds, it adds value to your life. Yeah, because we're here accidentally, with, but we amazingly have this consciousness that allows us to appreciate this. So enjoy that consciousness. Plus the fact that, that I point out that uh, you, I mean, if anyone really thinks about eternal life, is you, nothing. You nothing more miserable than that. I mean, forget. <laughs> right. You know, being with your friends for eternity, would be with your in-laws for eternity. I mean, it's really.
0: But you're also with. You know, I I forget and I forget the quote here. But you're also with those ten thousand goldfish that you flush
2: down the toilet yeah, whenever, yeah, whatever it's. You're with. uh I mean, it, it, as 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 Woody Allen once said, I said, um, um, uh, what is what he put, uh, um. Something about well, how is it? It's, it's something about eternity. It's really long, especially near the end. Or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's um, that's the point. I quoted in one of my books, so I should remember it. But anyway, um, eternity—a long, long time, especially near the end—or something like that. Um, anyway, maybe that's speaking of eternity in the end. Maybe that's a good way to end this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think so. Well, yeah. Thank well, you. we yeah,
0: thank you so much for joining us. If we want to read, see, hear more about you, uh, where do we go and how do we do that?
2: Oh, okay. Well, uh, you can. Um, well, I guess you can go to um, my uh, the, the web page at kraus.faculty.asu.edu, which tends to tends to talk about or list those those uh, places and things I'm I'm uh, I'm going to appear in, and and my books and also the origins project at asu which which uh, uh i lead and and, t- and has many different programs that's origins.asu.edu or you can you know follow i, I tweet at Al kraus one and i sort of give my ideas about science and politics on a regular basis and also facebook so you can find out and in there i also try in advance to give people a heads up of where i'm going or what i'm doing Okay. Well, we
0: will put links to all those uh, on on the show notes here. And thank you. I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with us tonight.
2: Well, my pleasure, and good luck with what you're doing. Thank, thank
1: you, you very much.
2: Take care.
0: Tonight, the reason we love the internet, is something a little different from for us. Uh, normally, it's just like a meme page or something just totally weird. Well, I guess this uh, kind of falls under that. Uh, it's a, I guess, a, a mashup. uh <laughs> The the Seinfeld theme, which uh, I mean, we we all grew up. I think in the in the kind of late eighties, early nineties, and so we kind of grew up with a Seinfeld through uh, through school a little bit. Uh, Mash up against the the Smash <laughs> Smash Mouth song All Star, uh, which is I think everybody listening to the show knows it, and it is I dare I say just the worst.
1: Oh man, I fucking hate Smash Mouth so much. I that is But, that is but my the opinion. thing is, I
0: gotta yeah, I gotta be honest. I, I I at least twelve year old me owned a Smash Mouth CD. So I mean, we all made I made mistakes twenty years ago. I'm not proud of them. Uh, yeah. so it's, Donald Trump and I have that in, in common. I guess uh, we both made some mistakes uh, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll I take Smash
1: <laughs> Mouth
0: for that one. So, um... so let's just uh, go ahead and just take a listen to this thing here.
1: Song. Want, told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger
3: and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the
1: ground running. Didn't make sense not to live for fun. The brain gets smart but your head gets dumb.
2: So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? Don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're
0: an all star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star.
1: Get the show on. Get paid. Only shooting stars break the mold.
0: We have the creator, or I guess arranger of of that little mashup here with us tonight. His name is James Nielsen. So James, thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, Thanks
3: for having me. This is really cool.
0: We've already listened to the, <laughs> to whatever uh, that is. And I guess uh, the the one thing I wanted to like, how did you like, how do you even like come up with something like that? Like what, what was the process for even like thinking to put, put that clip together? Well,
3: so I've actually been doing music production kind of as more like a serious hobby, I would say for about five years now. And so uh, whenever I kind of have an idea, in you know that I can do musically, I kind of just put it together, and then so, uh, most of them I never really post. I just do it because I think it's funny, and we'll send it to my friends or something. <laughs> and so, uh, with this one, I'd actually done a few Smash Mouth remixes. Like I would pair it up with like a Drake song or like a you know something else that's popular, and then it just hit me like the Seinfeld, you know, I grew up watching Seinfeld and I also had a Smash Mouth CD growing up. And so they <laughs> happened to work out perfectly. And so just because I had been doing music for a while and I, I kind of knew how to do it, it was a really easy kind of uh, way to, it's just easy to put it together and post it. And it probably took about 20 or 30 minutes from start to finish. But yeah, I don't know what to say. It really is the worst. <laughs> It is. And so
1: I guess it's like you have to, you try to find things to maybe make Smash Mouth not the worst. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like that could be just somebody's goal. Like that's what they do is to make Smash Mouth not the worst. But they are the worst. That's what's so funny
3: about it is because when something is just kind of like Nickelback or Smash Mouth, they are kind of (laughs) almost objectively terrible. It's fun to kind of play the joke that they're great and pretend that you're really into them and kind of play the persona of someone who just absolutely loves this kind of stuff.
1: And then meanwhile, you have all of these people now who have listened to Smash Mouth, who otherwise would not have been <laughs> like, yeah, I want to listen to Smash Mouth. No, we've all done it now. And I like, you know, you feel kind of dirty, but it's with Seinfeld. So it's funny. <laughs> Yeah,
3: You so. probably have gone years without hearing that song. And we're really happy about that. And then here comes this video that ruins your streak.
1: Well, no. Actually, the other day I was in a coffee shop and that song was playing. No, and, really. And I and like I just turned and like because I heard it through what I was listening to in my earbuds, and then I just cranked up what I was listening to <laughs> even louder just to make myself feel not disgusting. Oh so, my God. yeah, yeah. So what like what are some other things that you're like into and pursuing, or you know, what other weird internet stuff are you into?
3: Yeah. So kind of like. I mean, on my Twitter account, I really try to do just any sort of joke. I try to find any medium that will accurately portray that joke. So I do a lot of writing and also like funny photoshops or, you know, sometimes it's music, sometimes it's original, you know, music videos and things like that. And so just kind of in my daily life, I just try to pursue a lot of different creative things and kind of see how they turn out. Like these mashups, I've kind of known how to do them for a while, but never really felt like it was something I wanted to attempt and then once I did one and it became popular, I decided I was gonna do a bunch more since people like them. And yeah, so it's like I never try to get really too good at one thing. I like to be like, Mm -hmm. I guess competent or proficient at, you know, if I wanna make a video project, I can do like the basics of putting a video together and have some, you know, somewhat of some filming skills and then, you know, I wanna be able to if I have an idea in music, wanna just be able to do it. So I'll kind of just float around, and whatever seems cool at the time, I'll just try it out.
1: Yeah, and just make people laugh, right? Because, I mean, that's what... That's what we can do on the internet in these dark days of like election mayhem and dumpster oh fires. God, yeah. So well,
0: yeah, and, and you know? I think I think the, the video the video itself has has just an excellent message at the end because I don't know yes. where you just get the please vote don't vote for Trump and and like I, I watch it like the very first time I'm watching I'm like this is this is great this is fantastic I love how he edited it and then like that pops up and I'm like oh, shit. like. I have to talk to this guy. We have to have him on our show. And in so, so as we were kind of messaging before uh b- before now, uh we were talking and then you you threw out the word uh or the phrase rather um uh, millennial humor and that like th- that's exactly like what this is i've never thought of it in those terms that's exactly what it is it's just just shit posting and and just like even your cover on twitter just guy Fieri, just <laughs> <doing> <laughs> the, the <laughs> i don't even know what the, just like just being guy Fieri, it's yeah. like that is like like fucking it like, <laughs> like like on the head like exactly like what it is and and it, it, it is it is just I can't. For me, I can't get beyond Harambe. Like I, I, I cannot. <laughs> you, no,
1: you can You cannot get beyond Harambe. I and it, it, like, let different.
0: this go. And I do <laughs> not know why it is so goddamn funny to me. Just it, it will never not be funny to me. And I just, I just, I, I've tried to move on, but I just
3: can't. No, the thing. No,
1: we all have our things. The Harambe meme just
3: keeps coming back. To it, just it. Un- unlike him, it just will not. Died, <laughs> <you know? laughs> and yeah I mean, no, you, I mean you can see like even months later it's just like people because like new stories come up and people have taken that meme and just like what millennial humor is to kind of answer your question is really what from my perspective it's just pushing humor to the absolute limits of like sometimes repetition sometimes weirdness and so the fact that like I mean i even i even made a uh, like a rest in peace harambe music video that was Fairly popular among you know my my little circle. I'm going to have to see
1: it, (laughs) and we're going to have to link it. I think in our show notes (laughs) because obviously everyone needs to watch that. It's just Uh an
3: abomination as well, but yeah, it's kind of like it definitely serves and goes serve the purpose of the theme of just you know shit posting, I guess, which is just trying to be as weird as possible because I think a lot of people in my generation are sick of kind of, you know, comedians like Kevin Hart who is like he serves a really good purpose. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about him. I think, you know, we need really popular, relatable comedians like that. But once you kind of you kind of get that world of humor, you kind of like understand it and it becomes a lot less funny. So you need like something weirder and more out there and just like and you really need it to like stretch. Like sometimes you want a joke that you just don't even get cuz it's too weird. You know, you kind of like want to have that feeling of finding something new and crazy and so when you have, like, the Harambe meme, it's just, like, why do so many people care about this one event, and it just, like, blows up the internet, and that's, like, I think I think that's, like, a really good example of millennial humor, kind of, in a nutshell, too.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I guess it's, like, why we have a segment on this show every week, why we love the internet, and it's just bizarre stuff, like, crap taxidermy, and, <laughs> well, one, one week we did Harambe memes, and, I mean, bad reality photos. I, I don't know, just weird shit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure we all have in our, like the camera rolls of our phone, just odd memes. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, just weird, nihilist, <laughs> just shit that, like, I mean, I think the one I put today was every corpse on Everest was once an extremely motivated person. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it's true. <laughs> like, it's, it. but it's dark, but mm-hmm. it's funny. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah, that mix of it's fucked up, but it's funny, mm-hmm.
3: like really just pushing the envelope almost to like see how yeah. edgy you can be sometimes yeah, pretty much
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, can you um tell everyone where they can find you on the internet yeah, because they're gonna go do that right now. <laughs> so obviously. my
3: Twitter handle is at cool as heck with underscore so at cool underscore as underscore heck and yeah it's I mean the username is ironic because I'm not actually cool I do a bunch of very lame weird stuff so that should be funny in and of itself and yeah I've you know I've recently I've been writing for about a year now on there and didn't really think it would kind of get this popular but it I guess it it kind of has been lately and yeah so that's really the only place you can find anything that I do I have like a personal Instagram and a YouTube channel that I post some of my videos on but you know mainly Twitter would be the place to go
1: Alright, so everybody go go follow him on Twitter. And um, thank you for being the reason we love the internet this week. Oh,
3: thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: And on that note, thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed listening, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions, you can reach us at podcast at a science You can also find our full podcast archive. You can also find our full podcast archive at ascienceenthusiast.com slash category slash podcast. Follow the podcast page on Facebook. Follow Natalie's page, Skeptical Parenting, and myself as a science enthusiast. Also, if you enjoyed listening to the show, please consider checking out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast to get access to premium content such as extended interviews and early access to episodes. We understand not everybody can afford to financially contribute to the show, and that's okay. Just tell your friends about us. But if you could, just like James, Michael, 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 Alice, Joanna, Chris, Janet, and Sarah have done, we would be incredibly grateful. Natalie, hit us with a quote.
1: Every atom in your body came from a star that exploded, and the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution and for life, weren't created at the beginning of time. They were created in the nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way for them to get into your body is if those stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. And that is Lawrence Krauss. So, I mean, I think that that's way more beautiful and way more awesome than um, anything that people made up and wrote down in in a book about some all-powerful creator. I mean, right? Like, way
0: more accurate.
1: And it's accurate. I mean, like, and that's the that's the really cool thing about how all this works is that it's accurate, it's amazing, and I think that we can all kind of agree on that, right? You know, the world's a pretty cool place some of the time. Yeah? Maybe? Agree? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing that I want to say before we're done is uh, when this show is coming out, I'm going to be uh, getting on a plane to go do something kind of cool, right? Something we've kind of talked about over um, the past few weeks. I get to I get to go to Manchester um, in the UK and go to QED. Uh, you know, we had Marsh last week talking about it, and, and I get to go. The day that this show comes out, actually, it's my birthday, and I'm getting on an airplane and super stoked about it. Um, and, you know, the thing about... QED is I actually wouldn't know about this conference and really what it is if it wasn't for one of our like original dozen listeners of the show who told me about this um, conference and thought it might be something I would think is cool. So I'm really glad he told me about that because now I'm going and, you know, like podcast QED, it's all kind of connected because I am just a sentimental, you know, person, but um, I'm going to get to meet some of the people we've talked to. Right, so I get to meet Grant, Richie, get to meet Buck and Eli and Marsh and um, a whole bunch of other people that I, I guess, have like known just from the internet. So, uh, yeah, and I guess um, a bunch of them do that Last Tuesday Project podcast. So, if you're listening to us right now, after you finish the show, go and um and find the Last Tuesday Project um on. I don't know, on some kind of social media. They're everywhere and they're really good. So listen to them. I will give a like what happened at QED recap like all weekend on Twitter and um, maybe do something for Dan's website. And uh, yeah, like super stoked and looking forward to telling you all about it, Dan, when I get back.
0: Great. Sounds like fun.
1: It will be. I'm going to have a good time. I'm ready for a vacation.
2: (laughs) I bet. A
1: skeptical vacation. So, yeah, everybody's dream, Manchester in October. And then we'll be back next week with a show.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining me this week, Natalie.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You are very welcome. It was your pleasure.
0: It was. It was all mine.
1: Always. Yes. Somebody wants to tell me the world.
0: Outside of the Seinfeld mashup tonight, the music that you heard was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can reach him at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of not narrow or straight LLC, all rights reserved.